One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2. I'm Neil Manthorpe, and as always, I'll be joined by former England fast bowler Steve Harmison for another very busy show. We'll ask what next for England after their first Test Series defeat at home in seven years, and uh, we'll be looking ahead to the World Test Championship final and England against India in the women's Test match starting tomorrow in Bristol. As well as that, we'll hear from Joe Root, Gary Stead, Heather Knight and our very own Mark Butcher and Kate Cross. Plenty to get stuck into then. This is the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. So Joe Root loses his first home series as England captain and England's first home series defeat since 2014. I have to say that Harmy and I were amongst several people who had concerns and reservations uh, about uh, primarily selection of the England squad and resting of players before this series. And, uh, well, I think it was two weeks before the series even began. We wondered whether England were being slightly complacent, looking too much, too uh, to concentrating too much on the Ashes at the end of the year, rather than taking it step by step. Um, and, I, 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 Hami, you've, um, <laughs> you've been off your long run for, for the last few days on this subject. But Joe Root does deserve some sympathy, does he not, for, for not having his best team available? I mean, you made a beautiful point, didn't you, about Trent Bolt flying 10,000 miles to play in the second test match and Chris Wokes was 10 miles away with his feet up. Yeah, and we all seen it, man. That's the worrying thing, that sometimes you don't see it when you're inside. If you're a bowler, I remember a few times I really struggled with things and I sourced outside information because I thought, look, if I can't do it and see it inside the bubble of playing the coaches might not see it if somebody's watching on tv or somebody who's experienced that i trusted and known i would go outside and seek some information on what they could see about me what am i doing just little things that could might change something there was a lot of people seen from a long way out from a long way i'm talking about even after the world cup during the world cup in 2019 that the way the calendar was where the world was scheduled from red bull point of view that england were going to have a struggle to get Teams on the park that didn't prioritise 
Red Bull, and they haven't. And this this is where we're at. We were sh- we were shambles this last week. We should have gotten beat at Lords. I've said enough now. I've had enough of losing my temper and going with it. I'm passionate and wanting England to do well. I love seeing England win. And I feel so sorry for the captain. I really do. I said two years ago, why has he not gone and played IPL? I said, IPL franchise would be brilliant for Joe Root. But Joe Root's wanted to play for England, prioritise test matches because he's England captain and fair play to him. But there must have been a moment walking off that ground at Edgebaston, second innings, because it literally took him eternity to get off. He must have been thinking, I'm sacrifi- I've sacrificed a little bit because I'm England captain. I want this team to do well. And I'm not sure things are, are coming back my way um, for what I want. And I think that's, that's, that's the disappointing thing from Joe's point of view. New Zealand were brilliant. Where do they go now? Well, there's a lot of soul searching and where they get to, oh, God only knows. But my overall take on this, man, is, is the England batting unit, they were all playing apart from Stokes and, and Butler. England were in the mire very, very quickly at you know less than less than seventy for for one, for two, for three, for four. You can't build a, a test match and a, try and get a victory on that front. Positives of England bowl well, but the batting is just. I heard Nasser saying, "Go, we go. You, you got to go back to basics." I look at some of this tech, these techniques. How do you get how do you get basics with these? Because there's moving parts everywhere. Heads heads not in line, bats way above their heads, moving around far too much at creasing off balance. And it it's gonna I think it's gonna take a lot of soul searching because unfortunately, I think still think and I still believe these are our best players. Harmy, that's the technical side of things. That's the on-field performance. I'm just uh, got slight concerns about the balance of power off the field. I mean, I'm thinking back to the mid-90s when Ray Illingworth was was coach, chief selector, manager, not quite chief executive, but he was referred often to as the, the supremo, England cricket yeah. supremo Ray Illingworth. And when that went belly up, people said, well, we're not going to go down that road again. And I just, I, I don't know whether the balance of power and and the consensus with decision-making is, is quite right at the moment um, from selection and, and rotation and all those things. I mean, you've got Ashley Giles, Chris Silverwood is now the chief selector as well. I had slight concerns about that, although I understand the reasons for it. But Tom Harrison has uh, done a lot of good, but he's very much not fronting up. Um, you, you know, people have got concerns but and you know, I, I mean, when was the last time we we saw him? It seems to me that Joe Root and Chris Silverwood, who's also not particularly comfortable in front of the cameras, are, are doing most of the fronting up and having to do most of the explaining. Absolutely, and it's it's a hard one though, man. Is when things aren't going well, there's always blame around. There's mud flying here, then everywhere. Everybody's an expert. I've got my opinion. You've got yours. You've got Butch. You'll have his. They'll all have their say, but at the end of the day, like I said before, once you're in there, you know, sometimes you don't, they say, take a step back and take a a few minutes to sort of gather your thoughts, all this stuff that, you know, cliches that come with it. But again, like you've mentioned there, I I refer back to when Sir Alistair Cook, somebody who I, I know, played with and think the world of, he had to go through it with Kevin Peterson. Sir Alistair Cook, three times, three times a week, he was in the media. At the press conferences or at the end of a match, start of a match, 
and you'd have at least one question about Peterson. This is a similar thing for Joe Root. Joe Root's getting bombarded with negative questions, bombarded with questions that he doesn't want to answer. But he's also got bum, getting bombarded with with questions that if he was honest in the real world, in the real world, where he could say what he wants, he's saying something that he doesn't really believe in because he's saying, "Oh, we're still learning, we're still going this," and he's typing out the same stuff. And really, what Joe Root probably wants to say is, "I've not got my best team, I've not had my best team, no continuity of, of of getting my best team on the park to give this team a, a chance to to win Test matches." Win a test match, it's, it's, it's such a difficult thing. To win a series, things have got to go your way and you've got to have a little bit of luck. But to win big series, you've got to have a huge amount of trust, belief in your, in your unit that good times you can breeze through. Bad times you can hold in and sit in. And then 50-50 times where win test matches are won and lost, you, have, you can go revert, go back to the well for the... For the for the like the belief and the desire that this team can get through it and, and win that 50-50, which will get you over the line to win a game. That is built. That's not it's not it's not just turn up and, and play five days. That's built. Go back all the way back to you know 2005. This week I've been I had the fortune to be with Hoggard and we've been with Bell. We didn't just rock up in July after winning a one-day series and take on the best team in the world. For 18 months, we went all around the world, beat everybody around the world in series and built a unit where good players, senior players, I can think of 18 months earlier, Nasser Hussein, Mark Butcher, Guillaume Thorpe were in that side to get to the culmination of when you play that big series, when they were replaced by the likes of Ian Bell, um, Kevin Peterson. All that comes with evolving and transformation and winning mentality. At this minute in time, Joe Root has got, he hasn't got his best side. He's not had his best side. And the winning mentality will never, ever come if that's not the case. So it just, it, it's just muddled thinking. Talk about selection. Well, Chris Silverwood's just started to be the head selector. I would question the way the selection panel have used and looked at one-day cricket in the recent past. Josh Butler hadn't played a first-class game for a long, long time. Gets picked as a maverick. You know, Jason Roy goes in, open the bat, and because he's belted the one-day ball all around, different game, Matt, different game. Two bounces and over, three slips, off you go. You want to hit that, good luck to you. It's a different game, and it's a game that needs respected. I'm just not sure the England, England, the ECB has respected Test Match Cricket in the course of the last two and a half, three years, and this is where we've got to. It's slowly but surely been in a decline and this is where we've got to. No Joe Root in Sri Lanka, and we were to get him beaten in Sri Lanka. This is, for me, it's a shambles. It needs to be sorted out and addressed very, very quickly. And that means, if it means we pick our best team for India, potentially lose, but we can see signs that there's a cohesion and there's a continuity with selection and the way things are going and a game plan and moving forward gives us a, best, a better chance of going at the ashes. Then a lot of us will go, yes, great, we can see what's happening. If we consistently go white ball over red ball and rest and rotate our big players going into a dressing room, poof, we've got no chance because we've got a bowling attack to come, which is unbelievable. And we go into a bowling attack in Australia, which is phenomenal. Let's just remind ourselves of what Joe Root said after the Test Series defeat. This is, this is him trying to sound calm. Every single one of those guys has proven that they can score big Test runs. You know, we've all underperformed this week. It'd be the wrong time to start panicking and start really trying to rip up the 
everything, all the hard work that we've done for such a long period of time now. Uh, it's something that historically we've done going into major tournaments. Historically, we've done going into big test series, and it's it's made things even worse. I think ultimately, it's it's about this group of players taking what's happened this week and making them better, making themselves better for it, becoming more resilient off the back of it, and learning some some hard some hard lessons, which. Now, at times, from time to time, you have to be able to do it in, in, in this format of the game. Um, and you shouldn't shy away from that. You shouldn't be scared of that. Front up to it uh, and come back a better team for it. That was Joe Root. Um, we've heard the phrase uh, need to learn quite a bit. Um, and another bit of audio here from our very own Mark Butcher, uh, who was talking on uh, TalkSport Breakfast a couple of days ago. I've spoken to one or two of the coaches over the last couple of weeks, and they, they say things like, well, you know, we, we are, we're there to make suggestions to players. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of, we're not massively happy about guys taking off stump guards, etc. because, you know, they, these guys are guys who have played the game themselves um, and they can see the pitfalls in it. But in the, at the end of the day, a player is responsible for his own technique. And if he wants to make life more difficult for himself, then there's not much a coach can do about that. Mm. Um, one thing that the coaches and, and selectors can do, though, I mean, and I know Harmy went, went big on this yesterday, and he's absolutely right. The idea that you've got players um, missing test match cricket where, you know, for, for rest purposes, when some of them haven't played any cricket at all for the last two months is utterly absurd. Um, and so not only are you not giving yourself the best chance in terms of batting technique sometimes, you're not giving yourself the best chance of, of winning by not playing the best team that you have available. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know... It, the, the, the disaster was something that has been waiting to happen since they, since they named the side and since they named the fact that they were going to be leaving out seven regulars. Um, you know, Joe Root and the guys, they talk about sort of not being able to balance the team properly because they don't have Ben Stokes. Well, they've got all-rounders in Moeen Ali, who is an off-spinning all-rounder who can bat anywhere in the top seven. And uh, Chris Wokes, who is a fast-bowling all-rounder who could bat probably as high as six. So they could have balanced the side. And there's no reason whatsoever, as far as I can see, that Chris Wokes wasn't made available. He hasn't, he's played three games since August. Um, it's, you know, I'm sorry, but they've, they've sort of treated their fans and, and Test cricket with, a, with too much disrespect for me and have got thumped as a, as a, as a consequence. That's uh, Mark Butcher, he only bowled medium pace, but he's off quite a long run there. Um, finally, just in this section, Hami, um, there is talk that Zach Crawley might be given a rest from international cricket. It's only a few test matches uh, since he made 250, 260 against Pakistan, but he hasn't looked the part. And there are some suggestions that um, it may be a move to put Ben Stokes at number three um, for the first test and see how he goes against India. Is that, is that, is that a feasible or even a long-term solution? I know Ben could do it, and I'm, I'm sure he would be open to the suggestion. But why? We can't find, go, go and find somebody that can bat number three. If we don't feel Zach Crawley's the man, then go and find somebody that can bat at number three. Square pegs, round holes. Ben Stokes should be batting no higher than five for me. I think he should be batting at six um, because of the bowling that we ask him to do. These pitches are going to get flatter. We've had two good pitches. The weather's set fine. Not much rain around. Not so much in the English conditions. If we have to go and field for 120, 130 overs, of which Ben's got about 20 of them, why should he bat number three? You know, he's, he's a better player for me when he's further down the order. He's got a little bit of a license when it's a little bit flatter. Zach Crawley is going to be a fantastic player. He looks as though he's a lot scrambled at this moment in time. I personally think he should open a baton. I, I really do. I think he should open a baton. I played with one of the, the very best 
Well, he was probably he's the best Englishman I ever played with. Peterson was the best player I played with for England, but you know, Gothic was the best Englishman I ever played with, and he got you off to a start. You couldn't bowl anywhere near offline to, to Marcus Triscothic. And I think Crawley could do that at the top of the order. So, but Sibley could bat three, a little tinker like that. Milan's got 199 for Yorkshire. If he goes and bangs a few runs in the, the Champions Championship matches that are left to come with a, in between times, then he throws his hat in the ring to bat at, at number three. But at this minute in time, what, what I put round, you know, square pegs and round holes, Ben Stokes is a number five. Shouldn't be anywhere near yeah. going at number three for me. It's time now to turn our attention to the inaugural World Test Championship final between the now new number one team, New Zealand, and India, which starts at the Aegeus Bowl this Friday. The first thing to say, Harmi, for me is that, uh, you know, there were, there were some doubters. There were lots of doubters, and it's a seriously flawed championship in the in the fact that it's become even more compromised because of COVID, of course. But, you know, you only play six teams and uh, out of the nine. But, you know, there are, there are lots of holes to pick in it. The fact is, we're on the verge of the final. And I truly sense that, I don't know, 99 out of 100 cricket supporters believe these are the two best teams in the world currently. And it, it feels, it really feels exciting. Um, and it feels like a, a, a World Cup. Absolutely, yeah. It, it feels like it's it's a final. It is a final. The teams have gone through a couple of years. You mentioned the COVID stuff. Whether it's whether it's flawed or not, it is. These teams have earned the right to be in the final. They've won t- games at home. They've won games away. Um, and you know, we, we the, the point system, the arguments, and there for there to be seen. At this minute in time, we've got two teams who are playing unbelievably well, unbelievably well. And they're going to go head to head in a in a final at um, at the Aegeus Bowl, which I think is going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating. I think it'll be a good pitch down there. Two or three weeks ago, I met India favourites. What a side this is! What a side this is! Covers all bases, runs at the top. It's got somebody like Pajara to bat for long periods in the middle. Class of Kohli, Jadeja's back. R- wonderful bowling attack, seam bowling attack. They've got all bases covered. But I've just watched a team. And even though England were, were were poor, I've just watched 16 players because there are 17 players. They meant six changes, and you're thinking, I wouldn't like to pick this New Zealand side. By the way, this could be an absolute hungdinger. You know, I have them leaving. I have them leaving Jameson out, and my team. I have them leaving Jameson out, which is a big thing because he's averaging about 12 in Test match cricket. <laughs> I just think they, may, they might need a little bit of Neil Wagner to go at just in case. Yeah, they need a bit of aggression, but I think it's going to be a fascinating game. We've spoken a lot about the depth in Indian cricket now. And, and you know, let, all you have to do is have a look at the squad they're sending to Sri Lanka yeah. for, uh, some, for some white ball games. Absolutely. And you look at that and you think, wow, that is a cheapest. You know, it's a kind of team of IPL stars. Um, and that's a squad of 18, I think they're sending. But New Zealand, see, we've... We, we said they, they've always had a Hadley or a Martin Crow, or they've always had a star or two, sometimes three. But in terms of depth, well, they struggle to pick, they struggle to find a twelfth man. But now suddenly they've got depth that they've never ever experienced before, and they they came with a twenty-man squad. They've left out Daryl Mitchell, who looks a really useful all-rounder, Mitch Santner, Doug Bracewell, Jacob Duffy, and Rachin Ravindra from from that twenty-man squad. So it's down to fifteen. B.J. Watling is set to uh, to play his final game of his international career. This is head coach Gary Stead, 
uh, well, we, we talked about New Zealand's depth and balance. This is Gary Stead talking about India's depth and balance. They're a very well-balanced team as well. They've got some class pace bowlers, and, and it's not something that's always been, I guess, synonymous with Indian teams of the past. They've, they've relied heavily on their spinners, but I think in the last sort of three or four or five years, then they've really developed their all-round game and look no further than what they did in Australia as well and, and beating them um, recently to make the World Test Championship final as well. So they're obviously a, a real force, and we certainly aren't taking them lightly at all. Harmi, I don't... <laughs> Could you imagine being a selector or being in charge of the selectors? I mean, just start with the seam attacks for both teams. I mean, I, I, I don't know which one's more difficult. You know, New Zealand are picking from Bolton Southie. We, let's start with New Zealand. We'll come to India in a moment. Bolton Southie, we presume, are definitely in. Matt Henry was man of the match in the test in which they beat England. Um, and you've got um, Neil Wagner and Kyle Jameson. Uh, you know, that's... That's five, uh, and they they definitely want to play a spinner, don't they? So yeah, they're, they're gonna well they play a spinner because they've got Colin de Grandholm is probably going to play as well. So they're not going to play five seamers. I think the easiest one is to pick the spinner because Patel looked very very good the other day. I think leaving Santner out, Patel's going to play. So I still think it's a, for me it's a head to tails um, Wagner or or Jameson. Jameson's got a ridiculous record, and I thought he bowled well at Lords. Any bats, but I look at on a flat pitch, the way New Zealand have done about their cricket in recent times, they've used Wagner as that battering ram, that ball short, get stuck into them and make some happen if not if something's not gonna happen. If you look at that India batting lineup, if Pajara gets in, if Coley gets in, you might need somebody just to run up and hit the deck for from maybe four or five overs, just to move the batsman around the crease a little bit, try and ruffle a few feathers. And I think Wagner's your man. Wagner is your man because Jameson bowls from a good good height. I'm not sure how good a, a bouncer, how slippery his bouncer is. So I think I'd, I'd just go for Wagner over Jameson. For me, my team, my my team, I would I would go with Conway and lay them at the top. And lucky Will Young, he had a fantastic Test match, but Williamson has to come back in. Taylor Nichols, Watland, De Grand home, and then you've got Southie, Wagner, Patel, and Bolt. That of what I've seen from New Zealand so far this year in the two test matches, I'd go with him. I think Jameson will find himself very, very unlucky in my team, but I would want somebody just to get me something out of nothing if Virat gets in, if Pajara becomes very difficult to remove, or you know, if, a, if, Rishi, if Rishi Pant does get going, right, the Rogues, the Aegeus Bowl is a massive field, put two men back, third man down and really have a go at him and see see field uh, see what his tick is like in techniques like in that on that respect so because of that game plan I'm just going to go with Neil Wagner you know what is, is so incredible about the New Zealand team and they are I'm, I think I'm one of hundreds of millions of cricket lovers who have adopted uh, in New Zealand as my, my second team just I mean I absolutely love them one time they were playing a test series against Zimbabwe in, in Bulawayo and they asked me to present them their caps before the, the night before. I couldn't believe it. It was absolutely oh, astonishing. It was a story for another day, though. But, you know, you know, we, we all know players and, and coaches and, and teams that talk about playing for the team and putting the team first. This lot really, really do it. Uh, you know, and the whole culture, I think, they have had that culture for, for decades, you know, stretching right back to Jeremy Coney, who captained them in the 80s. But Brendan McCullum, I think, Baz really brought that culture in, didn't he? So we've got to put the team first. 
You know, we, we, we're not even the fifth most popular sport in our country. We've got to play for each other. Um, and now suddenly they are the second most popular sport in the country. Um, and, and, and suddenly kids are wanting to play cricket. And the truth is in New Zealand for years, kids didn't really want to. They wanted to play rugby. Yeah. And then they wanted to play second team rugby as a second choice and third team, you know, cricket really struggled. Um, and now it's just like the toast of the town. It is, and it's it's largely down to white ball game. You know, they see the riches of the IPL and the white ball stuff that there is around the world. But they are so respectful to the game of cricket. They've got a lot of respect for themselves, each other, and for the opposition. And it, it's I think it's patronising sometimes when you say, oh, you know, New Zealand are you know everybody's second team. You know, New Zealand are punching above their weight. I actually think that's that's talking down about New Zealand cricket, New Zealand sport. You read any books on the All Blacks. You read any books on the way New Zealand conduct themselves and play the way that you know, live the life and the way they play, and it, they are they are a credit to their sport and their profession. And I think this this team typifies that they've got a superstar in Cam Williamson. He's the most laid back, reserved, humble character that I have ever come across. You know, this guy is one of the best players in the world, one of the best players of all time. And you listen to him speak and you listen to him, you watch him conduct himself. And you'd, you'd think he had won a raffle to play for New Zealand. He would. You'd think he had won a raffle. Yeah, I, I just get the sense that Kieran Williamson just like, I'm over the moon just to play for New Zealand. It's like, no, he's the best player in the world. So I think when your leaders like that, your team become like that, you lead from the front. And that for me, that for me is what is great about this, this New Zealand side. And I think... That that's why they might play Neil Wagner over Kyle Jamison because they've had this formula, the game plan of having a go and Wagner's been the batting ram. He's not always got the wickets, the bags of wickets that Southey and Bolt has got, but he's done a job and he's, and he's worked to that plan. And I think because of that, I think loyalty will come into it and I think he might just get the nod. OK, um, I can't wait any longer. I, I need to know your Indian team because oh. I... I, I can't. I've got mine down to thirteen, and, I, and that's as far as I can go. I, I just can't. I can't make the hard calls. I think for me, Shami, the way the way Shami will be a handful in England with that Duke ball. The way Anderson and Broad spoke during that Test match, first seven eight overs, lacquer comes off, then it starts swinging, and it it did it did swing around a bit for the for for both both bowling units because I thought England bowled brilliantly as well in that Test series. But yeah, I think Shami, I think Shami and Bumrah. Will uh, will play, and I think it'll be one from Sharma, Siraj, and Yadav. I would probably go with it. Ishant Sharma's experience um, and the way he's gone with India in recent times. I think they'll probably go with Ishant. Then you've got the two spinners. I think both both spinners will play. I think Ashwin, how he how he bowled in in, in against England over in uh, in India was was magnificent. The way he performed. Along with Jadeja, you've got as much as Axar Patel was absolutely brilliant. There's nobody can get close to Jadeja the way he plays. So he would bat at number seven. And then I'd go with, you've got to play Rishi Pant. You've got Rahane, Kohli at at four, Pajara at three, Shubman Gill. Does he get a chance to keep his place over Agarwal or Vihari? I think Sharma and Gill will get another go at one and two. Pajara three, Kohli four, Rahani five. All right, uh, it's prediction time. We've got a few seconds left. 
I'll go first. Um, I, I don't mind uh, have, having egg on my face. I'm going New Zealand. Uh, I think that uh, they've the two test matches that they've they've just played. That's the obvious reason. Obviously, um, they you know they they the resilience of the the New Zealanders. Uh, I think if they if they get a toehold in the game, I think they'll just be really really hard to shake off. Uh, confidence is incredibly high. You know what? All of those things apply to India as well. So I don't really know why I'm going for it. But I, I'm going New Zealand. So you, are you going India? No, I'm going New Zealand. I'm going to go with you, manners. Unfortunately, as much as I want to argue the the, the case and and go the other way, I just think the experience that New Zealand's had in the country so far, I just think that it it might come down to Virat against Kane, the way the bowling the way the bowling units will bowl. I think both bowling units will bowl fantastically well on this and on that surface down at the Aegeus Bowl. They'll get the red ball to swing laterally through the air. And it'll be a case. I think it'll it'll come down to the batting unit. And I think Conway, the way he played, um, Latham got a few runs, but I think it might just come down to Virat Kohli against Kim Williamson. What a mouthwatering thought that will be. And I think it'll go all the way to the wire. I think this could game could finish around about tea time on day five, because I think it'll be a hard game for the bowlers. And I think the batsmen, because of the best batting teams in the world, will stand up. And I think it'll be a fantastic advert to test match cricket. And one I hope the ECB look at, if it does go that way, look at and think this, this is the standard of international cricket. We need to start prioritising that in some way because we are miles away from where these two teams are. One day we should do a special on uh, late bloomers and Devon Conway. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. And next we discuss the biggest stories or at least the biggest in our opinion, from the opening week of the T20 Blast. This is the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. 
There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can always listen back to the podcast, now available via the free TalkSport app. Right, we're going to look back at uh, the first week of the T20 Blast. This is a bit like playing Lucky Dip, because Army uh, Army and I can do an hour easily on uh, all of the stories that have caught our eye from uh, the first week of the Blast. And it has been a blast. It's been absolutely brilliant. It's a fantastic competition. And um, this, is a, this is an old, old line, but it, I just keep thinking how difficult it is going to be for the 100 to, <laughs> to, get, to get a toehold into uh, the audience. Because, I mean, it just loads and loads of good stories. Joe Clark's 136 for Nottingham from 65 balls. Uh, for me, the story of the first week is Archie Lenham, 16 years old. Son of Neil Lennon, bowls leg spin. He's been only only bowling it for for four years. Just brilliant. Surrey have also caught the eye, it has to be said, with our dearly beloved Gareth Batty, apparently in great form with the ball. Well, he has. He is in great form with the ball, um, as is his fellow 40-plus-year-old, Darren Stevens, who has taken two for 22, three for 32, match-winning performances. And then 16 not out from seven balls. Walks in, plays seven balls, backhanded innings, hits two sixes. It's the kind of little contribution like that that changes the course of a match and you never have time to, to fit it into your, to, to your headlines. How about Warwickshire making 229 for five? As I said, it's lucky dip. Army, you can, uh, you, you'll have your own list. Um, apologies to everybody who feels that they deserve a, a mention in our, in our review of the, the T20, but you can't fit it all in. It's just action-packed, non-stop, great stories. It is great stories, and it just keeps coming. It gets every night. It's a bit like the football with the Premier League after COVID. Every time, every time you switch a telly on, there's there's a game on, and it's and it's great. Our very own Mark Butcher there, trendy as anything. Alex Tudor towering over them all, big teeth. Great to see him back on the telly. I'm going to be at Chestley Street or the Riverside for the Durham Lancashire game, but it's forecast for rain, so it's the last thing I need when I have to talk about England a little bit more when there's no cricket on. But I'm really looking forward to watching my old team because they've started brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. They played against War- uh, got a great result against Yorkshire, Yorkshire superstars in 120 for, for eight, chasing 165 with four overs to go. And Ned Eckersley and Liam Travatsky got Durham over the line, 44 off the last four overs, which was a brilliant win for my old team at Durham. I'm a bit biased on that. But I'm again with you, Manners. Young Archie Lennon, 16-year-old. One end of the scale. Brilliant, was it? What do you have? Three for 14. What a fantastic return that is. Bats is just rolling back the years. He's getting younger. Benjamin Button. Collie's giving him the the, the, the the title of Benjamin Button. See him on the TV the other night at Lords, reveling in the sunshine. Captain Bats was brilliant again. Um, and this is what the 2020 is. Young Moriarty as well. I really enjoy that kid. I think he's got a bright future in the game. The ones that are fancied, you'd, you'd, you'd say, who have started reasonably well. Yorkshire probably could do with winning a game in the next couple while they've got the superstars and, and, and they don't go off when they go off to play play for England because there's four four big, big names for Yorkshire going off to play for England in, in white ball cricket soon. So to to sort of to lose one of their games while you've got them superstars, they'll be disappointed when they're played against Durham. 
but it's great. It's fantastic. I love this competition, the the T20 Blast. It's just a pity that the hundred's going to come in potentially overshadow. And is it going to be any better? Possibly because you're, you're you're cutting down the teams and good players are coming playing together. But for me, the game of cricket loves 2020, and we're we're potentially going to complicate it. So, no, I think there's some there's some good sides playing some good cricket at this minute in time that was expected in the white ball game. But if I'm picking one side who have stood out for me, I think I've seen them twice now on TV, and that's Mo and Ali's lot down at Worcester. You know, they seem to have a good balance of side, a couple of spin options, a couple of seam, few seam options. They've got power at the top, young Dolavera. Uh, he took a great catch in, in one of the early games and Mo and Ali looked as though he was enjoying himself again. Got, you know, he got 50 off 30 odd balls, got two for 20, two for 24. I think he got as well. You know, he's, they're, they're, they're going to be a good side as well. So the North group, I think is a little bit stronger than the South group, but you know, we're, we're in early stages yet. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens when the England players go away. That uh, first game between Worcester and Notts was tied. It was, you know, there's there's the classic kind of entertainment in T20 when batsmen hitting sixes and hitting fours and and chasing down 15 and over. Uh, you know, it, we, we sort of, it's still exciting. It still makes the hair stand up and back of your neck and you think, you know, but we, we're sort of used to seeing that. Uh, but to see bowlers fight back, to yeah. see bowlers defend six or seven and over. Well, okay, maybe seven or eight or nine and over. But the, the way Mo did that for, for Worcester against Knotts, that's, that's just as exciting, isn't it? Because, you, I mean, you look there and you think, well, they need, they need 25 off the last four. Um, that's just, you know, that's a walk in the park. It's an absolute breeze. It's just as exciting, at least I find it as exciting, when bowlers work out or, or second-guess batsmen and bowl them as wide Yorkers and... You know, the batsmen are also probably thinking this is a breeze. So there's been a fair bit of that too. There has, yeah. I I, I still think, you know, if if a bowler bowls well, he wins the game. You know, if, if, a, if a team's chasing, I don't know, anything anything north of 160, if a bowler bowls really well and gets three for 20, more often than not, that's a winning, that's match winning. It, it, it's, it's a huge winning. It's the same... It's the same as ever. Ever batsman gets over ninety, and we look at you mentioned Joe Clark. What an innings that was, by the way, one hundred and thirty-six. I think of about seventy balls. It was a fantastic innings. I think it's the only hundred that we've had so far in the blast. That takes a game away from the opposition, but I also am I'm with you. If a bowler bowls well, and a team, you know, when when a team chasing anything above one hundred and sixty, then it's 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 a match winning it's a match winning uh, performance for for his team and. Moen said over the last sort of three days, England need to get Moen Ali back in the red ball game if he wants to play. If he doesn't want to play, you move on. But still thinking, watching him on the TV in the last two games I've watched him, he's got a spring in his step. He looks, he's smiling with a fear, on a smile on his face. The responsibility of being captain, batting at number three. You know, hopefully a, a little message to the selectors that just believe in this kid a little bit more, give him a little bit more respect and show him some you know, give him some responsibility and he will he will deliver the goods for you. And I've, I've been impressed by Worcester. They used to say that rugby was the game that uh, offered a chance to, to everybody. Um, you know, if you were if you were short and fat and tall and fast or slow or, you know, that rugby was the game that uh, that you could you could find yourself a niche. Um, but but T20 is kind of like that as well, because 
you know, if you if you're an experienced cricketer, you only have to bowl four overs. They always used to say that when it started, they said it's a young man's game. And I I've wondered about that um, mm. right from the very beginning. And I used to, I thought actually that it may be the opposite. The opposite may, may be true. Look at look at our dear old Gareth Batty. He's going for five and over um, in the three games that uh, Surrey. Uh, they've won their first three games. He's captaining the team. He's taking them to two finals. They've yet to win one. But he's still, he's getting better at T20 cricket by the looks of it. You've got Darren Stevens, And then we started this section with with uh, Archie Lennon. And so I've just got to go back there. I mean, you know, some 16-year-olds uh, develop very quickly. They're, they're quite big and strong. And you look at them and think, is he only 16? Archie Lennon's not one of those. No, no, no. <laughs> he's Archie, not, is he? <laughs> no, he looks twelve. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's. I think he might have had to have permission. I thought when I look when I seen him the first time, I thought he was about thirteen. I thought, you know what? He's gonna have to bro- He's gonna have to get permission to bowl his fourth over off his schoolmaster, so he can he can have a go. It, but it's great to see. Honestly, it's great to see what what that young man's just done. Fantastic. Good on you, Archie, and keep going. Keep chucking it up there. Keep trying to spin it. You might get whacked a few times, but hey, you'll have more. You, you have, if you still, if you keep put, putting your chest out and believe in yourself, you know, you hopefully you'll have more good days than bad days. You know, good on you, kid. He uh, was talking about having to juggle playing the rest of the the blast with uh, finishing school and <laughs> just just uh, amazing. Um, and and good on Sussex. Um, you know, Absolutely. I mean, he's. He, it's not like he's been bowling it all his life, you know, from the age of sort of five. He, he only started bowling leg spin at the age of 12. And he, he just looks sort of happily bewildered by the, by the whole... But imagine being the adults in the room saying, look, are, are we really going to do this? You know, I yeah. mean, we, he, he could be destroyed. What if, what if he, you know, bottles it and, and can't handle the occasion? But handle the occasion, three for 14... George Garton, by the way, took two for 11 in the same game. So he bowled, uh, he's bowling well, to be fair, by the way. I've seen him a couple of times now, and I've always been quite impressed by his pace. He seems, he seems to have, he's not so much tidied his action up. I just think the more he's bowled while being fit, and the more he, you know, the repetition, he's, his action's getting a lot more compact. It's getting as less sort of all arms and legs. He looks as though he's got his, he's got a, a nice action there now that seems to be comfortable with him in it. Um, he's bowling decent pace. He swings swings it a little bit and he looks he looks good and yeah he wouldn't he wouldn't be a bad option to sort of back up a Reese Topley because you always want to have a a left arm option and he's he feels comfortable in it. So good on him and fingers crossed he keeps on going because white ball teams like a left armour and um, he looks as though he's got something about him. Quick shout out to Jack Leaning and Jordan Cox for uh, for, for Kent as well. In their, their opening game against uh, Middlesex, they both made 64. Kent were in big trouble there. And um, another story, interesting story, was Chris Green, who took five for 32 for Middlesex yeah. in that game, including a hat-trick. Um, and many, you know what, I got this feeling, and it may be wrong, I may, I may be the only one, but I've got this feeling that a lot of our listeners will go, Chris who? Chris Green. He's he's become a, a, a domestic T20 warrior. He's played Caribbean Premier League. He's played for the Kolkata Knight Riders in the IPL. He's played Caribbean Premier League. He's played Bangladesh. He's he's an Australian offspinner. And somehow he manages, he's, he's managed to play sort of over 150 games in five different leagues, almost under the radar. 
Yeah, he has, and he he performs it a little bit like Dan Christian when Dan Christian came about, and he he slipped under the radar a little bit, but he played inside that one, and it's like people always say, "Oh, Dan Christian, oh, he, he he's he's lucky he plays inside that that win tournaments." It's like, hold on, just flip it the other way. Maybe he's the reason why they're winning tournaments, and I think Chris, you know, Chris Green's another one that yes. He's probably not going to play a huge amount of test match international cricket, but he's a very, very handy to ha- person to have that balance the sides out. Um, and he just takes te- sides from being a, a team that are well fancied to potentially getting over the line. So a good signing down there. So good starts for uh, Worcestershire, um, uh, Durham, um, Warwickshire and Surrey, Kent and, and Sussex. I, um, I, I completely agree with uh, you, tipping Durham, as you would do out of loyalty, but also for, for very good cricketing reasons. Bryden Cass, we've talked a lot about his bowling during the championship, and there he goes out and smashes 51 off 30 balls. And it's it's winning those games that you should lose. It's dragging them back, you know, winning from 85 for seven, chasing 170. That's, that's pretty special, because you're going to hope for a couple of easier victories. And it's winning those ones against the odds. That makes a difference. I like the look of Sussex as well. I, I, I think they'll go well. Yeah, I think they're doing that. But, but go back to Durham. Durham have got experience at the top in Beddingham and, and Bancroft. We all know what, what happened to Bancroft a few years ago. But he's a fantastic cricketer. Borthwick, another one experience at number three. And they've got some good young players in that, that middle order in, in Burnham, young Clark. And again, Cass, he'll play for England for me. He will play for England before, if not before the Ashes or just after the Ashes. I think if he stays fit, He's, he can bat, so a number eight spot. He can bowl, not quite as quick as, as the Woods, the Archers and the Stones, but he's still you know, a little bit quicker than what you would think would, like Ollie Robinson would be. And they've got some very, very good bowlers that understand what it is to bowl at that, at that ground on then the sort of dimensions of, 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 of the Riverside at, at, at Chesley Street. So, you know, for me, they're a, they're a good side. And I like Brandon Castle. I think he's got a bright future in the game. You've got young Potts down there, bowls a, a heavy ball, Travaski. Ben Rain and, and, and Chris Rushworth will probably start playing. And then interesting selection dilemma for the weekend. Durham have got a winning side, two from two. Um, and so they've got Stokes to come back for three or four games. And that, the confidence he gives the side when Ben Stokes comes back into a dressing room is going to be huge. And I think that's why Durham, if they, if they can get another win this week and then get a couple of wins while Ben's playing, that should get them into you know, fighting for qualification for the, for the, the knockout stages. And uh, it doesn't always go according to plan. Uh, Middlesex have uh, lost two and um, Owen Morgan struggled, 27 off 27 balls. Yeah. Lancashire, have, uh, Lancashire lost one of their opening three games um, and in which they managed to score only 132 for four. Joss mm. Butler made 55 off 46 balls. Um, and it's, it's just every now and then, even the best. I only, only mention that because every now and then, even the best players don't have everything their way. We think of Morgan and Butler bossing games of T20 cricket. We expect them to stroll into the blast, but it doesn't always work. That's the beauty of this game. It doesn't. And it just shows you that if, you, if you're not sort of preparation's not right, you might have to take a couple of games to get going and, and you, you, you do sort of struggle your way in. I think both of them will say, look, maybe it's a difficult surface. You know, I was finding my feet in the competition. I will get better by the time I get to the England colours. 
But if you're a Middlesex and, and, and Lancashire fan, you're expecting them to come and hit sixes off every ball. doesn't work like that. That's why we love this game of cricket. It's a beautiful game. It's time now for the Breaking Boundaries feature. Thanks to David Smith and the Institute of Cricket. Earlier on, he spoke to TalkSport's Scott Taylor. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. So, David, we started off the last appearance you were on the show talking about your, your upcoming May slash early June camps by the Institute of Cricket. How did they go? Yeah, really positively. It was it was great to get back into, into some normality for a lot of the children. It was really good for us as well as we're, we're, we're moving the Institute of Cricket programme into lots of different counties now. So it May half term, we delivered in three counties, in Oxfordshire, in Derbyshire and in Warwickshire as well. Now, looking forwards, we're looking to, to grow into the, the Cornwall and Devon area. And we're also looking at a new London-based venue looking ahead into October half term as well. So the Institute of Cricket is really growing rapidly. And the programme that we're putting on offer now is, is benefiting lots of players that have got an interest in getting their crickets to that next level. You mentioned the programme. What sort of cricketer does it cater to? Does it cater to those just beginning or for those sort of top tier club players that might want to move on to the next level? Yeah, so we run camps for all ages and abilities, but the Institute of Cricket Camps are are really targeted at your your serious cricketers, I would say. You know, boys and girls that have uh, got an interest in, in trying to play the game at the highest possible level. Um, they might be part of their current uh, county pathway programme or even their district programme. Uh, and that's the sort of level that we're targeting with, with what we offer. Like I say, we do offer camps for all ages and abilities, but these particular camps at the Institute of Cricket are targeted at that, that top end, really. And I was looking on the, the Institute of Cricket website and there was help for even stuff like psychological and the mental aspects of the game. And I guess that could be the difference between someone who has natural talent at club level who wants to then kick on to that next level. Yeah, I think the the mental side of the game is absolutely critical and we focus heavily on that within the within the Institute of Cricket programmes. I think that the, there's a big difference for me between the player that drills that technical element. You know, clearly you have to be able to stand up technically. That's what we've seen in the England matches recently, that, that players technically haven't been good enough under that pressure. And I do get that, that your technique has to be solid enough to be able to stand up. But I think as well, it's, it's so important that we understand that there's a game aspect to it. You know, you've got to get into the competition. You've got to, you know, you've got to look to score runs. You've got to look to take wickets. And, and it's, it's very interesting, I think, at times. You see a lot of players that are fantastic in the nets, um, but then they get onto the actual game situation and, and they freeze or they, they can't figure out what their game plan is. So I think a lot of what we try and do with players is discuss game plans and how those game plans can you know, enhance their performances. Mm. And you're at Edgbaston for the, for the second test last week. And a question that's just popped into my head. You see a batsman like Rory Burns, who has a lot of moving parts. Say someone of your clients at the Institute of Cricket had a technique like Rory Burns. How important is it? for you guys or if if you guys do this at all to to not tinker with what he's got because that's his game that's what he's had and just maybe adjust it slightly to get to that next level yeah look I I have a lot of discussions about this with various coaches that I work with and and with players that have played the game at the highest level 
I'm I I don't believe that players start like a Rory Burns now. That that technique is developed over a longer period of time. It's like you know we I hear I hear coaches talking a lot about you know well that's his technique and that's you know that's just the way he plays. Let's leave him to it. But there are certain things within batting and bowling that are fundamentally if you don't get those right then you're not going to be able to perform. You know, and Rory Burns' technique, Dominic Sibley's technique, Steve Smith's technique. I bet you that at 12, 13, 14, 16, 18, their techniques were very simple. And over the last five, 10 years of them, them understanding their games more, their techniques have developed as well. So, you know, clearly we're not looking to, to develop robots. You know, coaching isn't about developing robots. It's about trying to work on the strengths of each player and, and, and obviously enhance their, their weaknesses. But I still believe there are fundamental things with technique that have to be the same. And, you know, if you've got a player that, that it has got some quirks in their technique, you're not going to literally rip it all apart because there's clearly things that work there. You've got to try and, and find a common ground to, to help them out without looking to completely change everything. And you mentioned at the very start of this chat, you're looking to expand. And, and that's important because... I guess people from those areas like the West country, they might have talent, but they just haven't got opportunity. And I guess that's what you're offering now. Absolutely. Yeah. We we believe in this program. We believe that this program is supporting players at the moment and that we're only literally scratching the surface in terms of what we're offering at the moment. So, you know, we're looking to expand it quite rapidly over the next 12 months, probably looking at another four to six new, new venues across the country. Uh, and hopefully there'll be uh, an opportunity for players all over the country in the next sort of 12 to 24 months to access the programme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Institute of Cricket is, is the website. Have a look at the information that we've got on there at the moment. And, and yeah, we look forward to a really exciting summer where we're, we're growing the, the camps again further and further. That was the Breaking Boundaries feature. Thanks, many thanks to the Institute of Cricket, the place to train for the best part of making it. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Harmi, the England women face uh, the um, Indian women in a one-off test match starting at Bristol on Wednesday. Um, my question to you is, how good can anybody expect to be at anything if you only do it once or maybe twice every two years, which is... The case in, in women's cricket, isn't it? I mean, they play an Ashes Test match once every two years. And this is, this is out of the blue almost. This, you know, it'll be the only other Test match they play. England's most capped Test players uh, have no more than a, a dozen Test matches. You know, it sort of feels like find a role for the, for the Test match game. Either, either do it properly <laughs> or, or don't do it because a one-off Test match in the Ashes is very compromised, it feels to me. It does, and it's it is, but it's got to start somewhere, I think. And I think it's one of them ones where if you're going to play Test match cricket, you're going to play Red Bull cricket. You've got to set up a system in a in a way that is going to benefit around the world. And I think for everybody, all the women cricketers around the world, and should it be done at Test level? It probably has to be done at Test level because, from a financial point of view, in the game. Can, at the lower level, you probably wouldn't get the sponsors and you wouldn't get the, the TV to cover it to make sure that it's financially, uh, financially viable. So it's a hard one. You know, Do you just rack off Test Match Cricket altogether and say, 
you know, in the women's game, it's just white ball cricket. I think that would be a that would be wrong mentality to look at. So I think you have to do it. You have to start somewhere. I'm not sure how many professional cricketers there are in the country, women cricketers in the country, but can they find a first class system which would be even if it was just three teams and play six or seven first class matches a season to go in with the white ball cricket to go in with the white ball cricket that's played um, throughout the, the the hundred or the blast or anything that anything that goes with the the women's game and build towards the, the, a test match structure in world cricket that benefits you know, the women's cricket moving forward. But I look at it and I think it would be very, very difficult and hard to judge how good test players are because come day three and day four, I think it will be very, very difficult for these players to, you know, for, for, for players who haven't played four-day cricket to still be standing on day three and day four, energy levels, concentration levels. And what you get there, you'll get mistakes. And when you get mistakes, you'll people will be quick to judge and see a poor standard. It's not poor standard. It's just not being done. You know, whenever, if, you, if, if somebody makes a mistake, it's more often not because they're tired or, you know, the concentration levels aren't, aren't quite right. They're not there. Then your bad habits creature come in and then, you know, the, the pressure that comes with that, that's got to be built up and there's got to be a durability built up by, for cricketers' bodies. And it, it's, always, it's always difficult. I see a lot of young cricketers come into the game at first-class level, day three, day four, they're out on the feet, absolutely out on the feet. And I think that's what potentially could happen with the women's game if it's not structured properly. So I think it's got to start somewhere. It, if it's going to be serious, which I think the women want, which is great. Our very own Kate Cross, who was with us in the, in, in the winter, um, she talked about you know, uh, you know, what she wants to, to see with the, the, the red ball game. There's a lot of enthusiasm for it. So fingers crossed this goes well. It's on TV. Players will want to hone their skills. And then from that, I think the ECB could do with finding a structure, finding enough cricketers in the country to have a structure to play, to possibly get three, four teams to go around the country and play different venues, play first-class cricket, play four days or even three days at the start to get the durability of the body used to playing the longer format of the game. If they do that, they're onto something special. Okay, you mentioned Kate Cross. This is what she had to say a little earlier about uh, introducing the red ball format into domestic cricket. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for that. I think the longer format is where you learn, you, you know, the real skill of cricket, how to defend good bowling, how to bowl for longer periods of time and, and be relentless on hitting line and length. Um, and I don't think it would be a bad thing to play a, like a longer format, whether that's two or three day cricket at domestic level. Um, and I think we maybe in the next five years might get to the point where we can do that. Obviously, it's um, really important in the next 12 months that we establish what we've got now with the 50 over competition and the T20. Um, and obviously that'll take us into the 100 as well. But yeah, I, I don't think there's any harm in doing it. And I'm yeah, I'm quite positive about the fact that that could potentially happen. That was Kate Cross on her hopes for the future of uh, the red ball game in women's cricket. And here's England captain Heather Knight, who uh, had a nasty discovery on arrival at Bristol to see that they were playing on a used wicket. Obviously, it's unfortunate. It's, it's not ideal. We'd much rather be on a fresh one, but we don't know how it's going to play yet. It still could, it still could play very well. Um, generally, at Bristol, you look at the deck sometimes and it looks not great, but it actually plays brilliantly. So, 
yeah, look, it's not ideal, but it is what it is. Um, and we're obviously going to have to perform as best we can on the on the wicket we're given. Tommy, it does seem a little bit disrespectful. Um, you can't play every game on a new wicket, can you? Um, you know, there are championship games that get played on old wickets and T20 games certainly get played on used wickets. But you might have hoped for a little bit better for the England women's team. Yeah, I'm disappointed at that. That's, that is that is not it's disrespectful, like Heather says, but I think it's out of order, to be fair. If I'm brutally honest, it's out of order of Bristol and ECB should have, you know, if that's this is the case, if you're going to play us on a used wicket, we're not coming, we're going to play somewhere else. We're going to play somewhere else. That's We've got 18 first-class grounds in this country. If we're trying to get something off the ground, i.e. ECB, we want it to be the best spectacle possible we want the best pitch possible we want the surroundings to look absolutely mint and pristine because we want to showcase what women's cricket is about come and play on a it's like having a second team game and saying i oh, will play you on the far end of the square you know juniors playing on the outfield you know women playing unused pitches i'm sorry that's not on that's not right it's not fair you know if we're trying to get something off the ground so that is a disappointment but fingers crossed it's a good enough spectacle that the pitch doesn't become the story because what is the story? We're trying to get women's cricket in the best possible shape possible it can be. It's on TV. Fingers crossed the girls perform. And if they do, then it's gonna only gonna get better. Fingers crossed it's not about the pitch and it's about the performance of the England and the women in the India women's cricket teams. So the test match is four days. It finishes on Saturday, starting on Wednesday. Then three ODIs, uh, 27th, 30th of June, 3rd of July, Bristol, Taunton, Worcester, and then the three T20s on the 9th, 11th and 14th of July at North Ants, Hove and Chelmsford. So they're getting around the country. And if, you'd, uh, if you haven't been to, to watch the women's game, I strongly recommend it. Thanks, Harmi. You've uh, been brilliant, as usual, doing most of the work. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, it will be available as a podcast, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, this has been The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 